Romans chapter 8, starting in verse 31. What shall we say about such wonderful things as these? If God is for us, who can ever be against us? That's what we talked about last week. That God is on our side. Verse 33, 32. Since he did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all, won't he also give us everything else? Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one. For God himself has given us right standing with himself. Who then will condemn us? No one. For Christ Jesus died for us and raised, was raised to life for us. And he is sitting in the place of honor at God's right hand, pleading for us. Verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? As the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. No, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loves us. You know, as you look at these questions, there's five of them. The first one was, who can be against us? That's what we talked about last week. Remember, we said we have all kinds of enemies, people who oppose us, people who don't like us. The list could be long. But we forgot about the very first part. If God is for us, you stop right there. That knocks out everything, right? Because God's for us, God's the greatest force of all, no one can be against us. Look at the next question. He did not spare even his own son, but gave him up for us all. Won't he also give us everything else? God's going to give us the lesser gifts. Because you think about this, he gave us the greatest gift first. If God's going to give us the greatest gift, don't you think he'll give us the lesser ones? Yeah. Question number three. Who dares accuse us whom God has chosen for his own? No one can. I'll I'll answer that really quickly. No one can accuse us because God's already justified his elect people. Question four. Who is he that condemns? No one. Because Jesus himself did. He died. He was raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God, the Father, and is now interceding for us. Paul's asking all these questions. And he's answering them right along with it. And we discover in these questions that this, in God, we have a champion, we have a benefactor, we have a judge, and we have an intercessor. But there remains one more question. Just one more question. Take a look in your Bible. Let's see at the last question. Can anything separate us from Christ's love? Anything. Start listening. Start thinking about it. What's going to separate us from the love of Jesus Christ? Well, without using a lengthy discussion, Paul just comes around and says, nothing, no. Let me just help you out right now and just tell you, there's nothing. Okay? There's nothing, as in no thing, nothing that separates us from Christ's love. The chapter begins what? Romans 8, 1 begins what? There's what? No condemnation. Isn't that a great way to start a chapter? Because when we mess up, when we screw up, right away we feel condemned. We feel guilty. I blew it. Paul says, wait, wait, wait. Therefore now, there's no condemnation for those who belong in Christ Jesus. 
If you've confessed with your mouth and believed in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, he has forgiven you. There's no condemnation. That's how we started this incredible chapter, and we say, what? That's why we talk about a radical response to God's grace. And we get towards the end of the chapter, and he starts with no condemnation. Now he comes to no separation from the love of Jesus Christ. Paul does try to give us a list of things that could possibly separate us from his love. But look at verse 35. He says, does it mean he no longer loves us? Have you ever felt that before? Like, man, I'm sure they don't love me anymore. I'm sure God can't love me now. You might say the same thing about our spouse or a friend or a teacher coach, right? Probably don't love me now because... And he starts listing them. Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or persecuted, hungry, destitute, danger, threatened with death? How many does he list there? Do you ever count them out? Probably not. We just read it. And sometimes when we start reading things in the Bible, we start slurring because we're like, whatever. End of sentence. He lists seven things. I don't know if there's purpose for that, but I do know this in the Bible. Six is an incomplete number. Seven is a number of completeness, of new, of whole. It's done. Paul lists seven things. It sort of makes me wonder, was that on purpose? I'm going to give you a complete list just to show you that nothing can separate us from God's love. I'm not going to leave anything out. Look at these. We'll hit these seven real quick. First one is trouble. <clears throat> also translated tribulation. That's word captures um, the idea of hard circumstances pressing down on us. English word tribulation comes from a Latin word noun, tribulum. And the only reason I say that because the tribulum was a threshing instrument. It was used like a sled and covered with strips of metal on it that was dragged over stalks to separate the grains of head and the wheat. Another, and he said the instrument was pressing out that grain. So it's come down heavy, come down hard, press out the grain and separate it. I don't know about you, but I'm sure there are moments in your life when you feel things are pressing in on you. A lot of pressure in life. You sort of feel like you've got a heavy weight on you and it does not feel good. It's a crushing feeling. Paul says life is hard. Pressures come from all angles. But all that pressure does not separate you from God's love. Second thing is hardship or calamity. Now this word, it's close to tribulation. It seems like it, right? Trouble. There's a slight difference in the meaning, though. The Greek word is composed of two words. And again, not to get technical, but sometimes when you look at the words, they help you understand more the meaning. You break this Greek word into two parts. Stenos, which means narrow, and kor, which means space or territory. So it's a narrow space, a narrow territory. First thing that comes to my mind is being claustrophobic, like you see, everything sort of comes narrowed in, you sort of tight fit. And it's like, I can't go anywhere from this direction. You know what I'm saying? Okay. What Paul's getting at here is sometimes in life, we feel like we're put into a spot where there's really no wiggle room. I, there's no way out. Different than the tribulation and the pressure of life that come down. Let's say I'm in a job, okay? And I'm in my life where I'm thinking there's no more where for me to go in my job. It's sort of a, we'll call it a dead-end job. I'm not going to get promoted. It looks like there's no promotion available for me. And at my age, if I try to leave this job, I probably won't find another job anywhere else equivalent to what I'm doing. And I've got a wife and kids and a mortgage, and I've got to pay all this stuff off, and I'm stuck. I, I, I can't quit where I'm at, even though there's no room for me to progress forward. I'm stuck. Or maybe it's the mom who gets up every day and 
at home by herself with three or four kids, doing the same routine, dropping them off, driving them everywhere, carpooling, whatever it may be, doing everything that a mom does, which is this long list, by the way. Not that I know, but I've seen it, okay? And then there's all this going on, and it's like day after day after, and there's just like tomorrow I'll wake up and I'll do the same thing over and over, and it's like there's, there's, there's no end to this. It's that kind of hardship. It's that kind of situation where you feel like, I'm not going anywhere, I'm stuck in this tunnel. And in that situation, you wonder, will that separate me from the love of God? Paul says, no. Number three, persecution. Now that word contains the idea of what? Being pursued by somebody. Somebody's coming after you, they're intending to harm you. Harm that's relentless. Think about this in America. We are free from this type of persecution as of now. And that's a good thing, isn't it? As a Christian, you don't have to leave this place warning if you're going to get pulled over, chased down, shot up. At least we hope and pray we don't come to that in America. But we will be persecuted for our faith. Let me tell you something right now. As a Christian, if you take a stand for Jesus Christ, you should expect it. You may be shunned. You may be made fun of. You may be passed over. You may be excluded. You don't get the calls to go to the party or people invite you over because they know where you stand. That's the kind of persecution that comes. You might even be taken to court. But what did Jesus say in John chapter 16, 33? He said, I've told you this, so you'll have peace in me. Here on earth, you will have many trials and sorrows. But take heart, I've overcome the world. Jesus said, you're going to get the persecution. It's coming. Fourth word, famine. Ancient times we read about famines, Right? Story of Joseph, we all remember that one. Seven years of famine. Can you imagine seven years of no crops? We get upset if the you know, cupboards and the fridge is empty for a couple of days. Can you imagine seven years of wondering where your food's coming from? History records famines across the globe. A result of natural disasters, earthquakes, fires, floods, lack of rain, insects, whatever it may be. We all have places where we've seen famine. Here's the thing. Hunger's not been eliminated, has it? There are third world countries today. Kids warning if you're going to get more than one plate of food on that day. That's all you're going to get. Maybe some beans and rice. That's all you get today. One time. We can't imagine that, can we? But it's happening around the world. Can that separate us from the love of Christ? No, says Paul. How about nakedness? When you read that word, of course, we're sitting here in 21st century thinking what? underdressed or a perverted conversation with pornography or sex, whatever it may be. That's what happens when you bring up that word. That's not what was meant by Paul. When he mentions that word, he's talking about extreme poverty to the point you don't have, you don't have money to buy clothes. When we would take trips to the Dominican Republic, <clears throat> I was always amazed, you know, you go into a neighborhood, a little barrio, and you see the kids wearing the same clothes the whole time. They never change. And it's like, why don't they change clothes? Because they don't have anything to change into. How come that little boys weren't addressed? Because there was girls in the house, there's no boys in the house, and so he gets the hand-me-downs, and that boy ain't going to get a shirt and pants because they don't have it. It's extreme poverty. So tough economic hard times. Church, does that separate us from the love of Christ? No, says Paul. Sixth word, look at that, dangers. Obviously, various types of dangers we can be exposed to. Similar to persecution, we can be arrested. 
kidnapped, attacked, beaten. It's all possible. It still happens today. Yet it seems like for us as Christians here in America, it seems so distant, doesn't it? Does anybody know of anybody in Northwest Ohio that's been beaten up lately and maybe decapitated because they were Christian? No. Does it happen across the globe? Yes. It does. Does that separate us from the love of God? No. Seventh word did he list, the sword. Now, for Paul, as he's probably penning this on parchment and going through writing this at that present time, you have to think about what's going on in his life. Stephen was killed for his faith. James, the other disciples, were all being put to death because they were disciples. They were followers of Christ. Christians are being put in the Colosseum at Rome, eaten by lions and other animals, tied to stakes, being burnt. He's writing this down, saying, there's a lot of violence going on. The sword is what is putting Christians to death. Matter of fact, he gets so worked up, he quotes from Psalm 44. He says, as the scriptures say, for your sake, we're killed every day. We're being slaughtered like sheep. Missions organizations today, I was looking this up online, trying to figure out what human rights and different organizations out there that are reporting how many Christians are killed every year for their faith. 600,000. 600,000 Christians are killed every year for their faith. Church, welcome to the category of being a follower of Christ in which you are being persecuted and hunted down. Fortunately, not in America. Oh, the freedom we have right now. Very blessed. But it's not like that for everybody. You know, it's sort of a grim picture, isn't it? I feel sort of like there's a heavy burden on the church right now. We've actually been talking about sword and famine and poverty and people dying. It's like, glad I came to church today. It's no fun. That's why Paul's here to say, listen, in spite of all that, list whatever you can. I've got the number down. I gave you seven. I'm trying to show you there's a completeness here. Not leaving anything out. Church, what can separate you from the love of God? Nothing. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. I've listed every negative thing I can think of, Paul says. Doesn't separate me from that love. Yet we might say, but that was Paul, right? Has anybody ever looked at the people in the Bible? True people, real people. They're not characters. I thought about it. Look at the, whenever you say, look at the biblical characters, do you ever sort of get a sense like they weren't real? Because you said character or something like that. When you look at the historical people in the Bible, have you ever sat there and said, I am so not like them. I could never be like Peter or James or John. or I could never be what, do what Esther did. I, I could never be like any of those people. Paul, Paul, theologian, right? I'll tell you what, those people have high status as followers of Christ. They probably had it pretty easy because they were tight with Jesus. Paul's like, no, no, you don't get it. Because I was tight with Jesus? I was persecuted even more. He said this, because he wasn't exempt from all this. <clears throat> Second Corinthians chapter 11. Why don't you turn there with me? Second Corinthians chapter 11. So from Romans, just go back a little ways, a couple books. Second Corinthians chapter 11, verses 23, 29. <clears throat> Paul sort of gets it going here and saying this. Just so you know that I'm not this person that's above everybody else and I'm this great spiritual guy and that I'm exempt from pain because I'm close to Christ. He says this, I've worked hard. 
I've been put in prison more often. I've been whipped times without number. I can't remember how many times I'm, people whipping me. I can't, I lost track. I faced death again and again, verse 24. <clears throat> Five different times the Jewish leaders gave me 39 lashes. Five different times. Three times I was beaten with rods. That's when you take the bomb of their foot, you lift them up, Ian, let me demonstrate with you without actually hurting you, okay? So they'd grab the bomb of their foot, they'd lift it up, and they would, with a rod, hit the bomb of their foot over and over and over until it was like pulverized like meat. That's when you talk about um, being beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Not, you know, the stone, dude. Not that stone, okay? It's the rocks thrown at until they're pulverized with rocks, right? Three times I was shipwrecked. Once I spent a whole night and a day adrift at sea. I've traveled as many long journeys. I've faced dangers from rivers, from robbers. I've faced danger from my own people, the Jews as well as the Gentiles. i faced danger in the cities and the deserts on the seas. i faced danger from men who claim to be believers but are not. I've worked hard and long and during many sleepless nights. I've, I've been hungry and thirsty and I've often gone without food. I've shivered in the cold without enough clothing to keep me warm. Besides all this, I have the daily burden of my concern for all the churches. Paul just lists all these things he's gone through his whole life. So one who's been through it, I believe he's qualified to be able to sit here and say, nothing can separate me from the love of Jesus Christ. He included in the verses that he wrote in Romans 8, probably from his personal journey, that he's experienced. Been there, done that, right? That's the saying we use. And he's not writing from a, a palace or an ivory tower. It's like, I really don't have any touch. I, I really have an idea. I have an, I, with what you guys are going on, I really don't know. But I'm going to say this. Nothing can separate you from the love of God. No, he's like, no, I've been there. I've done that. So I want to help you understand what this picture looks like, church. So I decided to go this route this morning, okay? With these two pieces of wood. One represents us, okay? There you are, me. God's love is the other piece of wood. What can separate us from God's love? Persecution, trial, troubles, calamity, all those things, right? So I said, well, this is what we want to do. Just to make sure you understand that nothing's going to separate us from God's love, I brought some, uh, some good old wood glue, okay? And because I'm very impatient and taking off the little cap, I'm just going to take a big glob right across there. Now, when I put that wood glue on, if you know anything to know about wood glue, is you take it, you smear it around and separate, get it out there because that's what you got to do. You just can't leave a big sticky spot. Okay. This is awesome. So as I go to turn the pages in my Bible, I will be stuck on Romans 8 forever. Okay. So we got the wood glue on, then we take God's love and we set it on there. And you guys know this. If you ever worked with wood and wood glue, this is pretty solid. This is going to stick. So what can separate us from God's love? Nothing. You don't seem to be convinced, though. Paul's probably thinking the same thing. So he says this. Help you out. Take some nails. And just to make sure you understand this, we're going to nail this wood together to make sure that it's on pretty solid. Yeah, no, I don't want to put a hole in the floor, right? And uh, what we'll do is we're not just going to do one nail. We're going to do two or three. 
and I'm actually going to bend the nail over. And if I would have gone through the bottom, I would have bent it the other way, but here's the deal. I'm, I'm leaving no room here because I want you to understand that nothing can separate us from the love of God. Oh, but we still doubt, don't we, church? Because, see, I went through a rough time the other day. I wonder if God still loves me. I hear you. Even though God's tried to make it pretty crystal clear, we bring out the ultimate duct tape. <laughs> I don't know who invented duct tape. I'm sure we could Google it and find out. He deserves an award. Or she. I don't know who did. But here's the thing. Because, you know, I'm, I'm still doubting my ability. I'm going to make sure that in spite of the glue, in spite of the nails, we're going to continue. We'll do it with duct tape. Because duct tape is awesome. I'm driving home the other day. Windshield wiper. Notice there's a piece missing. My first thought was, I'm not going to go buy another windshield wiper. I got some duct tape at home. I will take care of that when I get home. There we go. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing, right? But you know what? I messed up the other night. I had these kind of thoughts that were not pleasant thoughts as a Christian. And I know they weren't pleasing to God. That probably separates me from God's love. I'm such a sinner. All right. I really don't have much left in this bag. Matter of fact, I did have a couple pieces of gum. I was going to chew and stick that in between the wood. Oh, yeah. One more rubber band. There we go. That should do it. Right? That last rubber band. Church, I don't know what we can do to convince ourselves. Isn't this what we do in our life? We continue to do all kinds of mechanisms and tricks and gadgets and gadgets. And, well, if I just do this and do this and do this, then I know nothing will separate me from God's love. And really what we probably should have done to begin with is just write God's love across this big wooden block and not go this way with the separation. But God says, once you've confessed with your mouth and you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, do you get this? I've called you. I've elected you. You've been justified. Nothing's going to separate you from my love. Nothing. Church, do you get it? Do we need a clear picture? Nothing separates you from God's love. Nothing. And I need to hear that. I need to see that. I need to know that. Because in my doubts and in my times... I might question that. And I need to come back to Scripture and realize nothing is separating me from God's love. Hey, what you did Friday night, not going to separate you from God's love. Paul, if I need to remind you this, was a murderer. Did you forget that? Did you forget that he murdered people? The one who wrote this? Do you think he had a moment when he questioned or doubted God's love for him, himself? As he's writing this, do you ever think he maybe went back in the past and said, I wonder if God forgives me for that one? Yes. And do you think God will help you remember that for the future? Yes. What was that song we sang? He's a good, good father. As you sing that song, do me a favor. Next time you sing, he's a good father. 
Think of Luke chapter 11. Because in Luke chapter 11, verses 11 to 13, Jesus says, You fathers, if your children ask you for a fish, do you give them a snake instead? No. Or if you ask for an egg, do you give them a scorpion? No. So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give you the Holy Spirit when the things you ask for? He's a good Father. He gives us what we need. What's the nature of God? He is judge, yes. But those who have placed their faith in Him, He is also forgiving and loving. And Paul examines all these facts, all these truths, and he says, you know what? God loves me. And nothing separates that. God loves me. Nothing separates that. So he moves into verses 38 and 39. Go back to Romans, verses 38 and 39. And he sort of concludes this, and he says, I'm convinced. Church, you hear that? I'm convinced. No more arguments needed. No more weighing this out in my mind and my doubts and my wonders and worries. Matter of fact, look at the person next to you and say, I'm convinced. Give him a high five. Tell him, I'm convinced. <coughs> Good. I mean, can you imagine Paul at this point in time? He's like, you know what? I'm convinced. I'm all in. He says this. I'm convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. Then he goes to the extreme, listing off ten different things. Neither height nor death, or neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today or our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. No power in the sky above or the earth below. Indeed, nothing in all creation will ever be able to separate us from the love of God that's revealed in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul goes, hey, let's, let's measure this out with immediate life experience. Life and death. Who conquered death? Jesus Christ. For every person in here who's lost somebody, they're not dead. They are alive in the presence of God. They are rejoicing. We're the ones who are sorrowful because we've lost someone we've so passionately fell in love with that we've grown so near to. But the thing is, they're alive. Can that separate us from God's love? No, absolutely not. How about life? Are we separated from God right now in His love? No. Neither life nor death can separate us from God's love. How about angels and demons? Let's talk spiritual things. Ladies, you've been going through that, that um, Bible study and spiritual warfare. The armor of God, yeah. You talk about the spiritual things that are keeping you from worshiping and keeping us men from worshiping or knowing God. There's a spiritual war going on out there. But let me ask you this. Can that separate you from the love of God? No. Elements of time, our fears of today, our worries about tomorrow. Can time separate us from the love of God? No. How about any kind of powers, in heaven or in hell? Can any of those separate us from the love of God? No. How about space, height, depth, width? Can anything separate us from the love of God? No. Paul is not basing his decision off of emotions. It is like, I'm feeling really ushy and gushy about God right now. Nothing can separate me from his love. Valentine's forever, BFF, whatever. I don't know. I can't think of anything else, but... You know what I'm saying? It isn't like that. Paul's like, no, it's not about my emotions. It's a hard truth, evidence, facts, nothing. All that I've seen, all that I've witnessed, all that I've penned down, nothing can separate me from God's love. Nothing. And he's confident about that evidence. He's convinced in his head this is leading to a changed life. And, and I know, uh, I, need, I need to know this because every single day, I will probably be hammered just like you'll be hammered with a doubt, with a question. 
can God love me because of this? Well, how can God love this world? How, how is God a God of love? You know what? Grab out the wood and nails and start reminding yourself, nothing separates us from the love of God. Nothing. You don't have to wake up and question anymore. You wake up and you proclaim it. Church, wake up in the morning and say, you know what? God loves me. And nothing changes that today. Whatever's on my calendar, on my day book, who I'm meeting with, whatever comes my way, difficulty or trouble, is not going to separate the fact that God loves me. Proclaim it. You know, before the German blitzkrieg began, go back to these world wars, right, when Germany was going to invade Britain, the British Department of Information said they're going to publicize uh, maybe a, a way to get the, the, the nation, you know, let's hang in there. Let's not be defeated before the battle ever starts. So they came up with three posters that they were going to publicize in Britain. Sort of like uh, America's and our Uncle Sam. You know, I want you. Okay. Each one had a message. Here's the first poster. Your courage, your cheerfulness, your resolution will bring us victory. That was the first poster they put up. Here's the second poster they put up in Britain. Freedom is in peril. Freedom is in peril. Here's the third poster that they made. Keep calm and carry on. Oh, you've seen those, right? They're all over the place. Matter of fact, uh, Mark Batterson, he's an author and pastor, said there's been over 9 million parodies that have been made off of that original maxim. It it originated right there in, in Britain with that. Keep calm and carry on. They made uh, 2.45 million posters with that saying on it in Britain. 2.45 million posters. Keep calm and carry on. Keep calm and carry on. You know what? You You want to know how many of those were publicly displayed in Britain? Zero. They never got displayed. Isn't that amazing? That's a great Logan or uh, saying, right? Let's put that out there. But it never got displayed. Church, sometimes God leads us to a place and we sort of wonder, is he still love me? I mean, why am I here today, God, in this moment, in this situation? Because if you really love me, I wouldn't be here, right? Maybe God has taken you to a place you don't want to be so that he can show you how incredible his love is. We have nowhere else to turn but to him. And in those moments, what do we do? We have to keep calm and carry on. Why? Because like Paul, we are convinced. We're absolutely convinced. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. Church, nothing can separate us from the love of God. And being convinced of that, my behavior as a Christian should be evident. My faith should be on display. Not like the posters that were just left for wherever they were left. They should have been displayed, but they weren't. Church, as a Christian, my faith needs to be displayed. Your faith needs to be displayed. You need to wake up every morning and walk out of your house saying, you know what? God loves me. And nothing is separating that. Nothing has changed that today. And when you walk around as a believer in Jesus Christ with that truth, being convinced of that, you have the opportunity to be a witness to somebody else. You have an opportunity to walk in truth and allow God's Spirit to work through you. Because if you're not doing that, you're quenching the Holy Spirit. You're keeping that Holy Spirit from doing the work that He needs to do in your life. Because you've allowed doubt to come in and take over. No, that that can't happen anymore. Truth is, God loves you. Nothing can separate you from that. Let's display that, church. Next week, I'm telling you, next Sunday, I, I, you know, I get it. 
oh, it's baptismal Sunday. I can sleep in and not go to church. No, 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 church, there is no sleeping in next Sunday. This is the church. This is baptism. Your brothers and sisters in Christ have publicly de- declared they have a faith in their Savior, and they want the world to know, and they're going to do what Jesus did, and they're going to go under the water just like he was buried, and they're going to come out of the water just like he was resurrected, and they're going to come out saying, I am different. I'm not perfect, but I am different in Christ. And as a church, we celebrate that. We don't take a Sunday off and say, it's just a baptism. No, it's baptism. It's important. I encourage you, if you're in town, you need to be there. If you're in town, you just need to be there. Because people are putting on display their faith. And as a church that shows up, you are also displaying your faith by being there and saying, I support you, I encourage you, and I'm praying for you. And if you've not been baptized, now's the time to be baptized. If you confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus Christ is Lord, now's the time to be baptized. Not later, now. I don't remember people in the Bible like, oh, that's awesome. I'll get baptized in a couple years. No. They went down to the river and they did it on the spot. When we get baptized, we have that incredible way of showing people where we stand. You know, you're going to hear me say often that baptism is like a wedding ring. It's an outward symbol of a commitment you've made inside. I can take this ring off right now and I'm still married. But when I put that ring on and I display it, everybody knows that I'm committed. Okay? Baptism is that way of telling everybody I'm committed to Christ. So next week when we celebrate that those who are doing what Jesus Christ did and obeyed his commands and illustrating the burial and the resurrection and new life, we will, we will baptize them the same way Jesus was baptized, and we're going to celebrate. We get done celebrating with that baptismal. We're going to stick around and share food with each other and eat and have a good old time at Jagirland, okay? And it will be wonderful. And we can sit there and say, you know what? It's been a good week. You know why? Because all week I woke up every morning and said, I'm convinced and I proclaim it today. Nothing's separating me from God's love. No matter what test or quiz comes your way this week, students, okay? No matter what situation arises in a relationship and throws you off, fills you head into surgery on Tuesday morning, whatever it is that we face throughout the week, we are convinced nothing can separate us from God's love. Amen? Would you please stand with me, church? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, for being an awesome God. We really can't express in too many words who you are, whether we say awesome, incredible, or good, or we come up with as many words as we can, and sometimes we run out of words. So we just sing. And sometimes we don't even know how to pray, and your Spirit helps us pray. Sometimes we're just speechless. So God, I don't know where this church stands right now, whether there's somebody out there saying, I'm just speechless, or I'm, I'm ready to sing, or I just need to think this through a little bit more. Regardless, God, we get the opportunity this morning to stand together, to worship you, to proclaim that you are an incredible God who loves us, and nothing can separate us from that love. Nothing. We wake up tomorrow morning, we have no idea what's going to happen. Matter of fact, when we leave this building, we have no idea what the rest of the day is going to be like. Some of us will have an awesome lunch. Some of us might get some bad news while we're at lunch. Somebody might get a flat tire today, and somebody might get an incredible email that is just full of good news. I don't know. 
But this I do know, whatever it is, it can't separate us from your love. Nothing can separate us from your love. For that reason, we will keep calm, we will carry on, and we will display our faith for the world to see. Through our lips as we sing and we talk and we share, through baptism as we do what you did, through loving others, through being the church, reaching out and giving somebody a water, a pat on the back, a hug, whatever it may be, Lord, may our love be displayed this week as we think of your love for us. We love you, Lord. We sing to you now. In thy name we pray.